And part two of our special miniseries, we discuss how Chad Daybell became a player in this most disturbing of murder cases. Was it his obsession with death? Did he receive messages to do these bad things? Or did he just like the attention he could receive by preaching and writing about things that would lead to ill-fated consequences? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Killing Missing Hidden Podcast. We are in the middle of this special mini-series on what I'm referring to as the Doomsday Family Murders. I, oh, who am I? Yeah, uh, I'm Brad. I'm your host. And I'll continue to be your host until the day I die. Or someone pays me enough money to stop doing this. Um, spoiler alert, it may be less than you think. In fact, you may have the perfect amount in your pocket right now. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Now, if you haven't listened to the first part of this mini-series, what are you doing here? This this is a terrible, terrible starting spot. It really kind of makes me question how you live your life. I bet you eat your tacos from the bottom up, don't you, you weirdo? Monster. All right, but I'll give you a quick recap on part one. I know it's been an entire week, and as we have learned in this COVID-ish, are we post-COVID yet? I don't know. In this wild world, a week's a long time. We forget things. So here's a quick recap in about a thousand words. I kid. So in part one, we discuss Lori Vallow, a charming and pretty lady who was a member of the LDS faith who had some fairly extreme beliefs. She claimed to have visions where she would receive wisdom and instructions directly from the angels and dead spirits. She was raising two amazing children, Tylee and JJ, while her oldest, Colby, married off and started his own life. Her husband, Charles, converted to the LDS faith just for Lori and provided a very comfortable living for the family. But, you know, Lori kind of confided in her friends that Charles is holding her back spiritually because he hadn't grown up in the LDS faith, so he didn't really understand the culture like she did. And she felt like she was his spiritual superior. Great attitude to have. At the end of part one, Lori becomes involved with a group known as Protecting a People, who are focused on helping Christians prepare for the return of Christ on Earth. She introduced herself at her first meeting of Protecting a People as one of God's 144,000 who would help people during and after the end of times. And, you know, she also claimed to be a spiritual warrior goddess of some sort who claimed she didn't need to sleep and, you know, had other powers. Oh, and uh, she was a sort that denied one of her ex-husband's visitation until his death, claiming that he was a child molester. There was no evidence to back this up, but she just kind of liked being cruel like that. Remember that a lot of this background information comes from the book The Doomsday Mother by John Glatt. 
If you're interested in this case at all, it is awesome. It is worth your purchase. I've got a link in the show notes directly to the book at Amazon. And he goes so, so, so much deeper than, frankly, we have time to get into. But I think I've hit a lot of the high points, and I really appreciate Glatt doing the work on this because this case is all over the map, and he does a great job kind of organizing in a way that at least I could understand so I could present it to you. Now, be warned, this may be the shortest of the three episodes. I know that's heartbreaking, but this is a necessary episode, okay? Because we got to talk about Chad, his background, his beliefs, because without understanding that, you won't really get what's going on in our final part of the series. So we've covered the plan for the miniseries last week. So we're just going to jump straight. Well, no, wait, we're not. We're not. We're not jumping in just yet. I have one thing to say. Massive, massive, massive shout out to listener Peter from the UK, who is doing Brad's work by spreading our podcast and our teachings to all the unanointed out in the great state of England and its surrounding countries. He uh, apparently shared us with uh, a, a library group, perhaps. I don't know the details. Uh, but anyway, we're posted at a university, and that's gotten us a lot of press um, and attention. And so, Peter, if you're listening to this episode, like I know you are, email me. I want to send you a little something. All right. Now... We're going to jump right into the episode. Okay, so Chad Daybell. This dude was a big-time LDS member. He could trace his family history back to the 1840s, where his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, I, I don't know how many greats, uh, uh, this just feels close to right, um, joined the faith after saving Joseph Felding Smith, the nephew of John Smith, from an attack by town folks in England who wanted nothing to do with Smith's preaching efforts. Well, when I say attacked, I don't mean with like swords or spears. It, it was uh, eggs and other produce. But still, you know, a little bit of nastiness, right? The Daybell family eventually, you know, started following the teachings of the Smith family and moved to Utah in 1864 to study more from the Smith family. Family really planted roots down in Utah. Chad's grandfather grew up in Provo, Utah, operated at a fairly popular gas station in the area. Chad claims that his grandfather is his personal spiritual guide from beyond the veil or the afterlife, as we learned from last week, even though his grandfather died 17 years before Chad was born. After surviving World War II, Chad's grandfather, grandmother, and children underwent a sealing ceremony at their local temple. Now, this apparently is an LDS ritual that's meant to bind a family together forever, even after death. You know, they, they don't have the death to us part, get out of jail free card. Um, our board, Chad, he was born on August 11th, 1968 in Utah. He was quickly moved to Southern California because his daddy was in the Navy. They moved back to Utah when his dad was discharged. And from an early age, Chad 
was kind of obsessed with death. Uh, maybe fascinated's a better word. Like in fourth grade, this is when it really started to manifest. In fourth grade, they had an assignment where they had to write a book, and his book was entitled The Murder of Dr. J and His Assistant. And it was described by people who read it as unusually gory for a fourth grader. A teacher's aide, though, I guess, was down with it because as a surprise, she took the book from little Chad and had it kind of bound in their printing room, even gave it a proper cover. And on the cover, she put a picture of a very evil looking owl. And that made Chad just obsessed with owls for the rest of his life. He believed that owls had these secret magical powers particularly as they related to the ability to communicate across the veil. As Chad grew up, he continued being fascinated by death. He tells about an outburst he had when he was 13 that indicated a suppressed desire to be extremely violent. He was apparently walking through a park and found this field full of flowers. And with flowers, of course, there's bumblebees bouncing between them doing their job. He watched the insects busy pollinating their flowers when one got a little too close to him. So Chad's response was to step on it. Okay, no big deal. But he described it more as he smashed it. Like, he didn't just get rid of it. He destroyed it. And then he saw another one and he jumped on it. And then another... And another, and another. The dude spent 30 minutes just killing bumblebees. And by his calculations, he squashed over 120 bees to death. And he would have continued, he claims, but for he heard a voice yell at him at the top of this person's lungs to stop what he's doing. But when he looked around, no one was there. So he knew, well, that had to be an angel. And the angel wasn't happy with him killing innocent creatures. Sidebar, y'all know that, like, animal abuse stuff is, like, a big red flag, right? I mean, in fairness, this entire series is just a collection of big red flags, but I just wanted to point that one out. All right, so back to Chad. Uh, even though he was raised in the LDS faith, it wasn't until the ninth grade that the religion really took root in his soul. Chad claims he was studying the Book of Mormon, the book, not the play, and felt what I can best describe as maybe like the Holy Spirit entering his body. Chad said he began crying with joy and he just couldn't stop. He was completely overwhelmed with emotion. Not long after this event, he received a blessing, giving him great hope for the future. I don't really, I don't know if that was like an odious practice or something, but for whatever reason, when he received this blessing, he just got a ton of hope. He also received confirmation that he was special and he would develop unique powers or gifts as he got older. During his senior year of high school, Chad got a job with the Springville City Parks Department as a grave digger. Yeah. Yeah, just too perfect a match, isn't it? He found the job fascinating, 
And this would really be like his fallback career for the next three decades. Not long after securing this job, Chad had a near-death experience. He was with some friends at a lake when they decided to do a little cliff jumping or diving. And Chad was dared to jump from the highest cliff they could find, which was about 60 feet off the water. Chad, you know what? Actually, I found a recording of one of Chad Daybell's talks, and he speaks about this very subject. So I'm just going to let him describe his experience in his own words. I'll just briefly tell about my near-death experiences. I've told him enough that I don't need a whole lot of details. But for those who haven't heard, I went on a youth activity to Flaming Gorge, Utah, in northern Utah, and my friends loved to talk me into doing stupid things. I was the younger priest in the quorum, and, and they knew they could usually goad me into something that I shouldn't do. And they loved to cliff jump. We didn't dive, but this, this certain cliff had several levels, and we slowly worked our way up, and finally we got to one that was about 60 feet high. This is not me, but um, this is about where we were at Flaming Gorge. This, I found this photo. And they told me to go first. And as I stood on the edge of that cliff, I was like, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> but, you know, got to impress my peers. So I, I took that jump, and... It just took forever to, to hit the water, just one, two, three, and just kind of flailing. And when I hit, it was like hitting concrete. And I could, it just felt like I broke my neck, honestly. That was my first indication. But what really happened is my body went deeper than my spirit. And so I was like three quarters out of my body. It's like I came out through my head. And, um, I looked around and I, it was like a plane of white light and just uh, an amazing uh, experience. I felt so peaceful and calm and there were little particles of light that attached to my body like they were uh, just rushing at me. But within a few seconds, uh, my, my body and spirit went back together. Excuse all the background noise. That's not me spilling beer cans everywhere or hacking up along, and I didn't put that music in. But uh, regardless, what Chad kind of said was, as he noted, he felt like his spirit came out of his body, and he kind of saw the other side. And it was wide and peaceful, and he felt surrounded by pure knowledge. He didn't feel any pain, even though he was certain that he had broken his neck and died from the jump. Suddenly, he was kind of back in his body. Uh, he had been awakened. His friends had managed to jump down and pull him to shore, saving his life. And Chad believed that that experience caused what he described as a rip in the veil that was there for the rest of his life. Like he, from that point forward, he could see on the other side of life, whatever's there in his mind. And he could communicate with spirits and angels, and creatures like that. After graduating from high school, Chad received a scholarship to BYU, Brigham Young University. During his summers, he would return back to his grave digging job. After two years, Chad had to go on his mission trip, and he was sent to kind of the poorest parts of New Jersey. 
Now, Chad claimed that as he wandered through these rough neighborhoods and overpacked apartment buildings, he would like actually see souls wandering around, trapped in limbo. I guess like we would see ghosts in a ghost movie or something like that. And he was able to tell just from looking at them whether they were good spirits or whether they were bad spirits. And he said, you know, sometimes when he was doing his mission work, his preaching, some of the good spirits would follow him and listen in, and then they would have conversations about what he was teaching. So he felt like he was doing good, not just on earth, but on the other side of this veil. Now, in fairness, those who served with Chad said he was an awesome preacher. He was extremely effective at spreading the LDS message of faith. And he was also very humble. He actually was so good at what he did, he was promoted to a zone leader. And during one of his patrols as a zone leader, and look, I don't, I don't know what that is. I get the impression that they supervise other missionary groups, but I'm out of my depth here. But he, during one of these patrols, he was alone when he claimed for the first time to see his grandfather the man that died 17 years before he was born. And he said, you know, I, Chad said, I kept walking and my grandfather just kind of followed next to me. And we didn't speak, but he was sharing knowledge with me. And that was about all that came of that. Now, after his mission trip, Chad uh, went back to BYU. And while he was there, he decided to get involved in the school newspaper. And he eventually became the city editor for the school newspaper. One day while in the newspaper room, he was just kind of flipping through yearbooks from the local high schools. And he found one from 1988. And when he was flipping through, he was hit with what he described as like this electric jolt. And he was stunned into silence when he came across the picture of this one girl named Tammy Douglas. And he instantly knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, this was the woman he was going to end up marrying. And guess what? Guess what Tammy did for a living? No, she wasn't a gravedigger. She was the secretary at the cemetery where Chad would go to do his gravedigging work. I mean, truly a match made in heaven, or behind the veil, or whatever the proper term is here. Chad found Tammy at the next LDS Mixer, and they immediately became a couple. Naturally, uh, you know, after his mission trip, during his summers, he needed a job, and Tammy was part of the effort to help him get back into grave digging. And as they got to know each other better, you know, mostly through work, that's where they would flirt and talk and stuff, they took their relationship to the next level, okay? They begin to sit with each other at LDS events, which apparently is a sign, like an open sign to the congregation that, hey, we're a couple. We're off the market. Leave us alone. After praying to God and receiving what he described as a resounding approval, Chad proposed to Tammy during their Thanksgiving break, and the couple married the following March of 1990. They were like crazy deep in love. They truly, truly loved each other, according to Tammy's family and all of their mutual friends. Here's a fun fact, too. Their engagement pictures taken at the cemetery. You had to see that coming. Come on. 
So Chad graduates from BYU in 1992 with a degree in journalism. And a month later, Tammy gives birth to their first child. Chad goes out and finds a job at the Ogden Standard Examiner newspaper. The people he worked with nicknamed him the Chatterbox because he was so quiet and easily embarrassed. But he was a hard worker, and everyone did respect him. Tammy uh, took on a job as a computer librarian for the local school there. It wasn't what she was trained in, but she found that she was really adept at computers and all this newfangled technology. She even became a gamer girl. In May of 93, Chad claimed to have had another near-death experience. I don't have a poorly recorded YouTube clip for that, but this time it was on family vacation in San Diego. Everyone was swimming out in the ocean when Chad found that he had kind of gotten separated and had stumbled into this like really small cove that was surrounded by rocks. And as soon as he realized where he was and far, how far away his family was, he heard a voice from the heavens command him to grab onto the closest rock. And so he did. And as soon as he wrapped his arms around a rock, a 15-foot wave crashed down on him. And Chad again instantly found himself sucked into this other world. And while he's in this unconscious, semi-conscious state. I don't know the proper way to describe it. He said he saw his grandfather again, who purported to tell him about the wonderful life he would have with Tammy, but also said, you know, you've got some tasks. You've got a mission on Earth. And he listed out all these things Chad was expected to do to fulfill his mission. Chad then suddenly woke up on the beach, surrounded by his family, uh, they had saw him, they pulled him to safety, and his back was cut up pretty bad. He, de he described it as looking like hamburger meat. His chin had gotten cut up, you know, his hands were all cut up. It, it was just nothing life-threatening, nothing serious, but, you know, several of the cuts on his back were deep enough that required uh, some of the doctor's attention. Now, he said, this experience further ripped that hole in the veil that he had been enjoying or experiencing so his powers became stronger but the lists of the tasks and his mission were removed from his mind as he described it but he had this understanding and this faith that they would return to him at the appropriate time we go forward about a year to march 94 tammy gives birth to the couple's second child and then they have a third about 18 months later and, you know, everybody loved Chad and Tammy, and they produced the cutest kids. Everybody just loved them. They were very, you know, they were just that couple that were sweet to everybody, nice to everybody. Their kids were well-behaved. Just good folk. About this time, after having this third baby, you know, Chad kind of was getting frustrated with the newspaper gig. He saw it as really a dead end that he wouldn't go anywhere. So he returned to his true love, you know, grave digging. It paid better, and it was a job that he actually enjoyed, and he was so good at it, he was promoted to sexton and was given the responsibility for overseeing not, over the, not only the graveyard he had been working at, 
but also a second graveyard that was within the city. And, you know, his city, the city manager found Chad to be likable, a very hard worker. He even got profiled in the local newspaper. He came across as just a good guy. And he spent a few years at this job. But soon it came upon Chad's realization that he wasn't doing anything spiritual. Like he wasn't working towards any of his spiritual goals in life. And he felt like, I guess, spiritually a big fish in a small pond. So he decided he needed to become a writer. Well, actually, it was his grandfather who decided that he needed to become a writer. Apparently, one day when he was out digging ditches, his grandfather appeared and said, hey, it's time for you to get to writing. And Chad's response was, okay, cool, but I have no idea what to write about. So apparently his grandfather kind of gave him the outline for his first novel. And he finished writing that book in 1997, sent it to an LDS-friendly publisher, and they said yes, immediately agreed to publish it. And as soon as it was published, they gave him a contract for a second book. He ended up writing that this book series ended up being a trilogy. And it was pretty well received in LDS circles. Chad didn't make a, much money from these books, but he enjoyed, you know, kind of the, the signing events and the speaking events and, you know, just the general attention that he was receiving. During this time, while he's pretending to be a hotshot author, Tammy has their fourth child. And this is when money pressures were really starting to build. You know, the bigger your family gets, the more money it takes to keep them alive, which is why we stopped at three. And in 2000, the family grew again with baby number five. In early 2001, Chad's publisher offered him a job, which he quickly accepted, even though he would actually be earning less money than he was taking care of the graveyards. This put a huge strain on his family, of course. They were already struggling, trying to keep seven people going off of one paycheck. Now he's lost some money from his weekly paycheck. But Chad took this as a spiritual test. He knew that he could kind of choose the path of material riches or the path of spiritual riches. And it's important to note that he made this decision without consulting Tammy. And this would kind of become a pattern in his life. In July of that same year, Chad was one of three LDS authors recognized for his work and the contribution to the faith. And this, this was really, I think, the moment that Chad started to crave notoriety. While he was working for the publishing company, you know, he was still allowed to write, and he did, and they published his books, and a lot of them were about the second coming of Jesus Christ and the end days that would precede it. But he and Tammy also worked together on a series of six children's books that were aimed at helping kids understand the teachings of the LDS faith. A couple years later, in March of 2003, one of Chad's books was actually banned by an LDS-owned bookstore chain based on one scene in the book where an angel kicks an evil spirit through a wall. Or that's what Chad said. The spokesman for the bookstore said, no, we chose not to carry Chad's books because 
Chad's books really don't sell that well. It was a business decision. Chad took this, uh, he viewed this as censorship. And so his decision to combat this was a pretty bold one. He decided to create his own publishing company. Again, without talking to Tammy. And Tammy wasn't really happy about this decision. She objected. But, you know, Chad got his way because he was the man of the house. He instantly had several authors sign up to be published by him. And, um, you know, he hit the ground running in 2004. Now, a lot of those same authors who signed up with him said, you know, like, Chad was the face, but Tammy was the engine that made this place run. She was good with numbers. She was good with business. And if it wasn't for her, they said that place never would have survived six months. In December of 2005, come their first full year in operation as a publisher, Chad's company was named the Outstanding Small Wholesaler of the Year by the LDS Booksellers Association. Uh, by this point in time, Chad's company had published more than 50 books by 25 different authors. Plus, you know, Chad, he, have, he had his own books, so 50 plus books and 26 authors, if you want to be specific. And then in June of 2008, one of Chad's own books topped the LDS bestseller charts. So go Chad, right? Things are just coming up roses for this young man. That's in June of 2008. By the end of 2008, Chad's publishing company was out of business. They filed for bankruptcy. They indicated to the court that they owed more than $200,000 to 60 different creditors. Most shockingly of all, the publishing company made an annual income of a whopping $2,000 per year. Despite all this perceived success, winning these awards, having bestsellers, they weren't making any money at it. So Chad returned to, you know what he returned to, grave digging. Meanwhile, Tammy, you know, tried to help out by taking another part-time teaching job. But she didn't last long before having what Chad described as a nervous breakdown. She took the failure of the publishing company personally and had a really hard time dealing with it. She also suffered from anxiety and depression. And she developed a coping mechanism by playing those Facebook games that were so popular ages ago. Uh, in particular, she was entranced by the game Frontierville. Chad claimed that, you know, this wasn't healthy and that spirits were warning him the games were developed by the devil himself and he needed to get his wife off of them. Eventually, Tammy agreed to stop playing the game so much. In the spring of 2012, Chad announced that a call-out was coming. So what's a call-out? It's not truly part of the mainstream LDS doctrine, from what I understand, but it's a term for when a prophet summons all of the faithful to gather to prepare for the end of times. So Chad's kind of putting himself in the role of a prophet without much of a resume, you know. He said that um, 
this call out would be coming in July. And again, we're in the spring of 2012. He says in July, we're going to see someone doing a call out. Now, one of his fellow authors and close friends warned Chad that, look, your beliefs are getting a little off track here, okay? You need to be careful about what you're writing about, and maybe you ought to pray a little bit more so you stay consistent with church doctrine. Well, July came and went without any incident, and the same author wrote Chad an incredibly scathing letter saying, look, you're trying to lead people down a dark path. What you're doing is wrong, and it's only going to result in death and sorrow. And if anybody was a prophet here, it was Chad's friend via this letter. Now, rather than being ashamed or embarrassed by this little faux pas, as I would be and perhaps you would be, Chad was actually energized by his incorrect prediction. It caused him to take writing more seriously. He began publishing more frequently, and he started visiting a website known as Another Voice of Warning. It was there that he saw Julie Rose post, and in May of 2014, offered to publish a book on her near-death experiences. He told her that he had visions that they were destined to meet, and it was his duty to make sure he could share her stories to the world. Julie agreed, though she wasn't really as excited to work with Chad as Chad was to work with her, because she had read Chad's books, and he found, found she found his writing style to be a little childish and irritating. But, you know, she hung around, he published her first book, it, it, you know, caught a little bit of uh, notoriety, got some de decent sales. So she decided to write a second book. And this one was a massive success. Like, it just blew up. It Whatever Chad had done, this book put everything he had written to shame. And Julie would go on to write three more books over the next several years and was really considered an excellent author in the LDS world. Now, in August 2014, I'm trying really hard to keep the timeline going here so you all can follow. The family went on vacation in Idaho. I know what you're thinking, who goes on vacation in Idaho, but it's supposed to be beautiful up there. I've never been. I would love to go. Chad didn't invite me, sadly. Uh, but while he was there, Chad claimed when he was out on a stroll by himself that his grandfather visited him again and said, look, Idaho's the place you need to be because Idaho would be one of the sacred places for those, the 144,000 selected to help God and Jesus during the end times. So what does Chad do? A few weeks later, family sits down to have dinner on just a random weeknight, and he says, by the by, we're, uh, we're moving to Idaho. Uh, again, Tammy never consulted, and Tammy kind of went, crazy after this. Um, she was furious at him. She did not want to leave Utah. She was born and raised in Springfield, Utah. And to her, leaving it at the age of 45 was just totally unacceptable. But it happened. The Daybells were warmly welcomed into the Rexburg, Idaho community by their fellow believers. 
when they moved in the summer of 2005. Chad got a job with a printing company there who also, you know, agreed to publish some of his books. It was around this time, too, that Chad decided he needed to begin promoting himself more. And he began giving talks and more book signings. But, you know, as he wrote more and as he published more, he was getting further and further and further off track from the traditional LDS doctrine. In fact, a cult expert by the name of Rick Ross noted that this is kind of the point that you could see that Chad was forming his own splinter group. And he was looking for those that would buy into his teachings and really preying on them, trying to really capture their attention with the hopes that he could intentionally or not form this group or cult that would support him and his teachings. And during the course of this, he found that, you know, it's he was never a cool guy growing up from what I could tell. He was respected and all that, but he's, you know, he's a stocky dude. He's a little, I don't know. You know, he's got some sort of charisma about him, but he's not a great public speaker. Uh, He seemed to just be one of those kind of nice guys that got through life that way. But as he's doing this, he's noticing like he's really capturing the attention of a lot of females. And he really likes that. And it just fed his ego like never before. Even though the family's struggling to feed him themselves, and he's struggling to bring in enough money to feed his family, his ego is full. His belly is busting. Chad managed to work his connections to get invited to a conference, a kind of a big deal conference, as a speaker at an LDS event. And the name of the conference was entitled, Come Unto Me and I Will Heal You. Naturally, Chad, because this is what he wrote about, talked about the end of days, and arguably was the most popular speaker at this event. And because of that, he was quickly invited to a second conference. And the more popularity he gains, the further off path his beliefs come, the more extreme he can be described as. And he started writing and preaching about multiple prohibitions and reincarnations. And these are ideas, it's not like, you know, the LDS faith tolerates this. Now, they are strictly against the idea of reincarnation. But Chad didn't care. People were buying into it. People were loving it. It was making him popular. And so he just kept following his gravy train there. By 2017, Chad began telling people that he had become immortal and was a translated being, which I guess is an immortal godlike creature. He claimed to have the power to pass into different worlds and teleport around this one. So I guess he was like the LDS version of Doctor Strange. This was included in his autobiography, which critics noted really wasn't an autobiography. He kind of took his blog and his website and edited it into book form. But because of his, you know, that kind of awkward charm that he had and his soft-spoken ways, his grasp over these people that followed him grew stronger and stronger, particularly in southern Idaho, where he was able to really move around and really talk a lot. 
And like as an example of how strong this grip was, he convinced, if I remember this correctly, it was a friend's boss's wife that the end times were coming, and she convinced her husband to spend $20,000 on survival gear. He also, Chad, started to become a popular guest on LDS Leaning Podcast. The Preparing a People group loved having Chad on. He was invited to appear as a guest or a co-host on many of their podcast episodes. In fact, he was the very first guest they had on their very first episode. And during these appearances, he would discuss a huge variety of topics, you know, um, and some of them were just bizarre, regardless of what your, you know, personal beliefs are. For example, he felt like everybody in the world was being microchipped by their governments. He also claimed that when he was able to peer beyond the veil one time, he heard some Van Halen playing, which is kind of cool. He didn't say if it was Sammy Hagar or David Lee Roth. He wasn't that specific. It was just Van Halen. Chad continues working at growing his empire slash cult and began helping people by offering this service where he would come to your house and build a spiritual shield around it, kind of a, a, a bubble that would protect you from bad spirits. He also claimed to have the ability to cast out evil spirits that led to sinful activities like drug addiction or pornography addiction. You know, so instead of going to rehab, call up Chad. I'm sure he charged an arm and a leg, and the only will be all well. All right, now Julie Rowe, you may remember we talked about her in the first part of the story, uh, or in the first episode of the series. She visited with Chad a lot because, you know, he published her books. Uh, Chad eventually confided in Julie that Tammy wasn't doing very well. And she had stopped taking her antidepressants, and he was worried about his wife. He also confessed that because Tammy wasn't doing well, they had kind of grown distant. They weren't being intimate anymore. And Chad had started an emotional affair with a fan out of Arizona. Uh, the woman's name was Natalie, and Chad convinced Natalie that they had been lovers in a previous life. Julie didn't pull any punches. She said, Look, <laughs> You're cheating. Call it what you want. Describe it however you want to, but you're cheating. In your heart, you know this. And you have to focus on Tammy. You have to help her get well. You have to fix your relationship with her because guess what? She's your wife. So go help her. Suddenly after this meeting, Chad started confiding in other friends that he started having these very disturbing visions of Tammy dying often a car accident. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. He did not expect her to last much longer on Earth. So not long after this emotional visit from Julie, Chad found this old and tarnished necklace that had been left at their local temp temple. And when Chad found it, he picked it up and looked at it and then was struck dumb. He just couldn't speak. Because when he looked at the necklace, the pendant on it was an owl. And he knew by God that this was a gift from the spirits. 
And so he took the sow and he treasured the sow. And again, it's this old tarnished gold necklace. But he 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 felt like it was this magical artifact, okay? And so once he got a hold of this necklace, he began developing these new powers. He said that with this necklace, it was a tool that could help him determine whether the people in his life were truly spirits of the light or spirits of the dark. Now, remember, he claimed to have this skill when he was 19 and he was doing his mission work in New Jersey. That was just of the, you know, spirits he saw wandering free of bodies. Maybe this let him see into bodies and that was the new upgrade. I don't know. But he didn't have the necklace at that time. Regardless, Chad just used this like a prop. I mean, he was a total absolute charlatan when it came to this necklace because when he would go to little gatherings and stuff, he would use it in a way to speak with the dead, often historical figures. But it just so happened that he would do a lot of research on certain historical figures before he would go to these meetings. So if he decided that today he wanted to talk about Abraham Lincoln, then he'd go on Wikipedia and read all about Abraham Lincoln, show up at the meeting, start letting the necklace, you know, swing back and forth to answer yes and no to his questions. And he was able to give details about Lincoln's life that people just didn't have in their general memory. He really liked doing this for people that were on the Mayflower because, you know, like 90% of the time there weren't a ton of records that survived beyond these people out on the Mayflower. So he could kind of say what he wanted to and no one could call him out on his BS, right? As he got more and more comfortable with this, he got bolder and bolder and bolder and he started to do readings on people themselves. And of course, by this time period, again, we're sometime between 2017, 2018, social media is a thing. So before he would go to these gatherings or parties, he would do research on these people, and then he would choose who got the readings, shockingly, right? And he would talk about the person, but like 90% of the conversation would be what they had done in the past that he was able to see. And only like 10% of it would be these vague, you know, newspaper astrological, astrological predictions about what was going to happen to them in the future. He also liked doing this on current celebrities. And I, I don't know why this was so important to him, but he said that the darkest spirit that was out in the world during this 2017-2018 era was none other than Oprah Winfrey. I know, none of y'all are shocked, right? Because she just screams evil. Anyway, uh, Miss Julie Rowe heard about Chad doing these readings. And again, she lost her marbles, read him the riot act and said, stop, stop right now. You know what you're doing is not coming from some higher power. This is a trick. You're fooling people. You're taking their money. Stop it. And Chad just kind of ignored her. And that was when their friendship effectively ended. Now, by the mid-2018, Chad's ideology was becoming such a large part of his personality and his persona 
that he actually lost his job because it was alienating his coworkers and it was causing the company to lose clients. This is the same guy that's nicknamed Chatterbox because he's so mild-mannered and shy and quiet and meek a few years ago. Now, all of a sudden, he has to be fired because he won't shut up about these crazy beliefs he's having. Five weeks after being fired, fate would bring Chad into contact with Lori Vallow at a Preparing a People conference. And that's where we're going to end the story. So that's a good stopping point, right? We've got the two stars of the show in a room together for the first time. So that's where we're going to pick up with part three. And part three, I've been working on the script for that. I maybe am halfway. It's, it's, it's going to be awfully long. Um, it's going to hurt your ears. You're going to be so tired of my voice by the time we're done with this. But boy, do things go bonkers in part three. So... We know what Lori's about now. We know what Chad's about now. Now let's see what happens when you mix the two together. Okay. You know, and it's like you can see, like Lori, Chad has this very creative story to tell about his spiritual gifts and powers, doesn't he? You know, traveling through dimensions, identifying evil spirits, having a magical owl pendant. I mean, like I alluded to earlier, this is more of a comic book character than a person, right? I mean, we, this, no, we, we, we don't believe this. There's also this huge contrast between how Lori treats her family and Chad treats his. Now, don't get me wrong. Like they're both incredibly selfish <laughs> and it is all about Lori and it's all about Chad, right? But Lori almost seems to enjoy causing pain in others where Chad is, he's not as overtly bad, but he has no problem taking over somebody's life and just leading them where he wants them to go, right? And, you know, when we have this meeting of Lori and Chad and they start mixing their vibes and their energies, we get some really bad juju. And when the other shoe drops, brother, it drops big time. Chad's obsession with death is really interesting. Um, you know, it clearly manifested at a young age, and it was something that seemed to be an obsession of his. I, I mean, just that story about him spending 30 minutes stomping on bees. I can't get my teenager to... to do anything besides play video games for 30 minutes. This dude's out there just massacring the bee population. And then he's constantly trying to learn from, you know, the world of the dead beyond the veil. He wants to know all of their knowledge. You know, for someone who claims to be able to identify and expel evil spirits, he finds lots of ways to put himself in the path of some evil spirits, doesn't he? And man, I feel bad for Chad's family. God, that, can you imagine? And, and I'm sure some of y'all had, and I hate it for y'all. And, you know, I wish the world was a better place. But having a dad who just walks into dinner and says, oh, by the way, yeah, we're moving. Yeah, I didn't talk to any of y'all about it. There's no real reason for us to do it. But uh, yeah, that, that, that's going to happen. So y'all get prepared. I mean, 
when someone's being guided by spirits as Chad claimed to be, it's gotta be really hard to have a conversation with this dude. I mean, how do you argue with what a spirit told Chad and won't tell you? I'm also surprised that Chad was able to develop such a following. Like I mentioned, and I'm not trying to be, you know, cruel or petty here. He's, but he's, he's just, he's not a handsome dude. Uh, a lot of his friends from his youth kind of described him as a little bit nerdy. Um, you know, he's consistently being described as shy and introverted. And, you know, from that YouTube clip we played earlier, he's not a powerful public speaker, but there's something about him. People want to hear him talk. They loved reading his books, despite him being considered kind of a so-so author. I think, I think he just had a knack for saying what people wanted to hear and, you know, selling what they wanted to buy. Or at least, you know, some what the certain members of the LDS faith were willing to listen to and swallow. So he's, he's kind of an interesting guy. He becomes much, much, much less likable in episode three. Yeah. Um, so if you don't like him now, you're really going to hate him. Uh, okay, so that's really all I'm inclined to say about this episode, because I'm going to go into spoiler ter territory if I don't shut up. Let me just get to our palate cleanser. Now, this is a Brad choice, okay? So you know it's going to be lacking in quality. But, you know, we had an episode devoted to Chad. Why can't Brad get a little love here? Anyway, the joke is a talking dog walks into a job recruitment center. And goes up to the clerk and says he's looking for a job, and she's astonished. And so she assigns him to a counselor. The dog goes into the counselor's office, and the counselor, too, is shocked and says, A talking dog? I mean, a talking dog? I have no doubt that we can find you work quickly with your skills, you know? Uh, acting, uh, uh, television, you know, uh, commercials, maybe even the circus. The dog kind of furrows his brow and looks at the counselor and says, what on earth would a circus want with a plumber like me? You get it? Because the dog, his skills is plumber, not the talking. That's the punchline. That's the funny part. Okay, we're done for the day. Like I said, a little bit on the short side, but not criminally short. Uh, again, massive shout out to Peter for help spreading the love. Little things like that make the podcast grow so much. So again, please, if you can share us in any way, I will be very grateful. If if you could leave us a five-star review, subscribe to us on the social medias, all that stuff is great too. But if you want to be a hero like Peter, good old listener Peter, He's going to be our Chad Daybell. We're all going to worship him. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, all right. Y'all be good this week. Be safe. Make someone smile as always. And I leave you with Brad out. You survived another episode of Killing Missing Hidden, the podcast about bad things. Join us next time for another true and thrilling story.